Yeah. And we are live. Okay, I've been looking forward to this one. I got Adam Mansfield from Upper Edge. How we doing? Doing great. How about yourself? We're going to talk about the underrated, vicious concept of cloud lock-in, SaaS lock-in, but also what you can do about it. And mm-hmm. you're the best guy I, in the industry to talk to about this because you talk to CIOs about this every day, how to get the best out of these uh, cloud vendors and get better project results and how to negotiate better. I can't wait to talk about that with you today. Appreciate that. Yeah. Appreciate the praise there. The best. That's a high standard to meet, yeah. but I'll, uh, I'll, I'll stick with that. That sounds yeah, good. We'll, we'll let, we'll let the viewers be, be the judge of that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, just a little bit of background for those who are joining. Um, uh, I, I, I sought Adam out a couple of, of years ago and uh, one of the reasons I did is because Upredge is pretty unique. Uh, they they're they're an advisory firm in the enterprise that that um, basically doesn't take vendor money whatsoever, which is highly unusual. Um, they don't do research like an analyst firm. What they spend their time is advising customers without taking any vendor money on what they should do about their project dilemma, specifically around evaluating uh, products and project priorities, stuff like that. And so they started blogging. And I was really starting to pay attention because I was like, wow, these blogs are really interesting. So if I go over to, to Adam's uh, blog page here, um, I, I see topics like Salesforce customers, where are your subscription fees going, uh, how to crush your Microsoft 365 renewal negotiation. I mean, these, these are not things that a lot of people are talking about right now, uh, squeezing precious dollars from your, your cloud costs. And so um, Adam's here to give us the in-person view on you know what he's learning and also as we emerge from the deep depths of the pandemic, like what customers are talking about. So Adam, glad to have you. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And I appreciate being here. I mean, there's a lot there, right. And to unpack, um, but that's the beauty yeah. of it. Having a lot to unpack is good, good because there's a lot to share. Yeah. And you and I did a podcast before I'll, I'll throw that into the chat later. Um, we all, uh, John Belden joined us as well from upper edge. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how we kind of got to know each other and started talking about this theme of that, you know, that, we, we think about SaaS as like the sexy new software brand, but a lot of the dilemmas that customers face are, are still the same as they ever were. And, and that's why I think firms like yourselves are really, really uh, important. Um, but, but just bring us back a little bit and tell us a little bit about just your role at Upredge and like, how do you gather the information that helps you to understand what, what customers care about? How do you do that? Yeah, no, it's a good question. I mean, so you touched upon a minute ago, like we don't have a research wing. We don't have a revenue stream from the vendors. We're not interacting with the vendors. We're not learning through that lens. We're not pontificating about what's going on in the market because it happened at one vendor. It should happen at another. It's literally interacting, working with enterprise customers of all of these vendors. And most of these enterprises have all of the vendors in their portfolio. So we're interacting with sitting at the side of them when they're approached by Microsoft or Salesforce or ServiceNow or in a renewal negotiation or in a project-related negotiation with an SI vendor, whatever it may be, we're part of that team. We like immerse ourselves in it. And so we're hearing direct interactions when they're happening and we're gathering that, absorbing that. Then the beauty of it is we're not manipulating it back to the market because all we're doing is just reporting on what we're seeing we're experiencing. It's not a guess. It's a no. Absolutely. And, and just for folks who enjoy our countdown format, uh, Adam is going to be, uh, counting down some cool stuff here. Uh, we're going to do a, a bit of a, a snarky countdown, uh, on, uh, on, on what, what drives, 
cloud buyers crazy, what drives Adam crazy. And we're going to do another one on um, on tips for getting better results in negotiations. I'm really looking forward to to those. Uh, so, but one thing I wanted to to ask you about, Adam, just just to kind of frame this. Yep. Th- this this issue of of lock in is so important because what 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 we learn is just like anything else in life, the deal that you make is is such a big impact on outcome. You know, whether it's a car lease or a home lease. Well, it turns out, pull all the sex appeal aside, the same is true for, for uh, software vendors and cloud vendors for sure. So tell us about that. Yeah, so it's 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 kind of why I actually got really excited about even this whole industry, right? If I took a step way back, you know, this promise of cloud and flexibility and the old buy as you need it and the pay as you go, and that sounds great. It's just not true. It's just not. Not in the enterprise space, right? And so what's clear is that these customers that we interact with, they'll say things like, well, we got this phenomenal price. It's the, it's, they told me it's the best per user per month price they've ever given. Now, the fact of the matter is it's usually not true, but let's put that aside. When you look at it, the next question is, well, what do they do for you when it's time to lower your needs? Well, nothing. Okay. What do they do when I need to grow? Do you have some sort of volume discount because you're giving them more business? No, I don't have that. Okay, so what do you? what's going to happen to your pricing at renewal? Well, they gave me this great protection. Okay, what is that protection? They're going to cap the increase at 7%. All right, that sounds decent. But did you read the fine print? Wait, let me guess. It says you need to either maintain or increase your volume. You need to maintain or add more product. You need to hope that they don't repackage, rename, or change the product because if they do that, guess what? That Mm. protection's gone. So effectively, what's happened here is that they're putting a shiny new toy in front of someone. They're enticing on the price. They're making a promise of flexibility. Their enterprises are adopting, which I'll get to in a minute, which just means they're going to add it to their contract. They have to have to roll it out. They're making a three-year commitment, all usually up front because you get the better price. You can't reduce your volumes. If you increase, you don't – and then where are you at? Well, that sounds very familiar to me. That sounds mm-hmm. exactly what Oracle and SAP and IBM and all the on-premise software vendors from back in the day that's still around, I get it. That's what they did, and they're still doing it. And it's not a coincidence that like a McDermott moves from an SAP and then jumps into the Ferrari of service now. And guess what? He's doing the same exact thing. So, you know, again, I could go on about this, but vendor lock-in, I know that word gets thrown around. I look at it more like vendor lock-in as a concept that you need to consider, not just the idea of what it's going to happen later. It's the actual realization that there is no other alternative. If you're going to go cloud, you're going to be locked in. The question becomes, do you have access to a key? And that's the whole premise to this, right? And so at the end of the day, get the key. Yeah. That's it. Absolutely. So Den Hallich chiming in. Uh, Wonder when you get these dudes on. Now we know. Yeah. Yep. He knew Upredge was going to be on this show, and it won't be the last time either. Uh, Greg says he's still learning the format. Greg used to take it in the audio 
after the fact. Greg, glad to have you live instead. And Dan, wham, wham. Thank you, man. We're only the first few minutes. Yeah, absolutely. And and Adam, I want to tell you something that I believe. You tell me if you believe it. Okay. My my belief is that that, that you know when you have this kind of discussion, you start thinking, oh, these vendors are like bad guys and they're 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 exploiting people i don't really view it that way as much i mean there are probably a couple of vendors out there that, that are but but for the most part the way i view it is that vendors are just so much more sophisticated at these negotiations they they've done it a long time they have a lot of high priced lawyers and, and 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 the customer i think is comparatively more i guess you could say vulnerable to that they they don't do it all the time and and they run the risk of missing something in the fine print or if not the fine print, just not getting the good information from all their peers around like, hey, when you talk to these folks, make sure that you remember this, this, and this. That's my view of it. Is that kind of how you think of it? Or A hundred percent. I mean, I say this all the time. I mean, I know I can be um, pretty demonstrative and passionate about the things that I'm saying. But at the end of the day, you know, and I mentioned this before, Salesforce, they have a great product, right? I, I talk to these companies all the time. They love Salesforce, right? And that's a whole other word about service now. Microsoft. I mean, these products, they put out good products, right? The issue is this. That's all well and good. But underneath all of that, right, they have their publicly traded companies, most of them, the ones that we deal with. Their job is to make money. That's why they do what they do. I mean, I know that we always talk about innovation and Benioff talks about the bigger story and customer success. I get it, but they're publicly traded companies. And when they talk about revenue and they talk about bookings and they talk about um, revenue downstream, they talk about 50 billion to 20 from 20 billion. They talk about 10 billion from four. They're driving revenue. That's their goal. Okay. At the end of the day, sales and marketing spend is up. That's what they need to do. So I don't, I have no problem with that. My problem is they, as why we're in business, are not only more equipped because they do it all the time, they have the leverage, right? They have teams of people assigned to one customer, and they are orchestrating their plan really well. Let's think about this as Salesforce as the example. Salesforce started out selling software for salespeople. They know how to run a sales cycle, okay? And all these vendors do. They know how to get to the line of business. They know how to get to the C-suite. So they have an orchestrated plan that they're thinking about and executing when you don't even know what's happening way before your renewal date. So Hmm. what we experience is there's sophisticated procurement departments that we work with. And sure, they know what they know. But how many deals have they done recently with Salesforce, with ServiceNow, with Microsoft? The answer is maybe one, maybe two. And that one happens to be the last one that they did either at a prior company or this company. So the intelligence is really important. But the other part to it is, and what we're starting to experience, is that they don't know that their deal needs to be improved. They may feel like it does, right? Like there's always that sense of like, well, this price might not have been good enough, or maybe I could have got more of that service level credit, or maybe I could have got more investment dollars, but they don't know the extent of it. And so a lot of what we do is we simply just try to inform them. And it's powerful because once they're informed, it's crazy how interested they get in going to get where they should be getting. And, um, and Adam, Adam, I would make the argument since we're, t- since we're in the area of customer success as a discipline, that actually what you're doing 
will increase the satisfaction levels with these vendors because in the long run, this is good for these vendors because you're going to get more value and, and feel like you're on more equal footing in terms of how you negotiate with them. So a hundred percent. And it's such yeah. a good point. Um, we talk about how we interact with CIOs. We interact with these senior line of business executives. I can't tell you the number of times where the sales executive, pick your favorite vendor, has actually mentioned, hey, listen, I know we had to give more maybe than we wanted to give, right? They're having a candid conversation. But you guys were asking us for things that we can do. You were asking us within limits that we actually have. In other words, the data that they were being given, the questions they were being told to ask for, were not pie in the sky. We want 98% discount. We want a 40-year block. We want it capped at 0%. It's not crazy. It's based Mm -hmm. on principles that they can agree to. They may not like to. And so a lot of times these vendors, their sales cycles actually shorten, right? Because we know actually what they can and can't do. And the other part to it is, we're asking scenarios of these vendors that ultimately, to your point, which is great, they actually want to have these conversations about how, if they do the right thing now, they can get more later, right? Because that's the unlock. You do a really good job for me now, and I'm telling you what that entails. I'm going to give you more later. What sales rep, what sales, what, uh, sales organization wouldn't want to have access to that information? Right. Here's what you need to do. And you're going to get more later instead of that's a, that's gold for them. Yeah. And Den's Den's basically agreeing, saying the intelligence among buyers is always weak because they don't do enough negotiation. And I think that's a good foundation for us to to understand this conversation. Um, so so, Adam, um, tell us a little bit about just what the experience has been through the through the pandemic here, like, like take us from the beginning of what customers were talking with you about and how is this shifting over time as we're now in what, what Diginomica sometimes calls the beginning stages of the vaccine economy, where we're not out of it yet, but there's more of a light at the tunnel, perhaps. What are you seeing? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good question. And a um, couple things. So obviously we're talking about cloud. We've talked a lot about that. We mentioned vendors like Microsoft, Salesforce, ServiceNow, Workday, right? So for Upper Edge, we're obviously working on other sides of the IT, so like an ERP transformation as an example. So we did see some of those projects slow up and be put on hold, right? But here's the thing. If you had a Microsoft renewal last June, because you tied it to their year end, which in theory should be good, but there's tricks to that too. But let's say you did that. You still had your renewal. You weren't not going to renew. It was a question of, now I really need to make sure I do this right. Mm-hmm. Salesforce, I got a renewal. Well, are you not going to renew? You have to renew. You're relying on that functionality. Service now. Like we can go down the list. So during the pandemic, let's say over the course of last year, we actually had a lot of our customers come to us and really focus in on, I need to know how to approach Salesforce to hold them to what they're saying publicly. And see, so when they're up there talking about they're going to give flexibility, they're acknowledging their customer, like what does that mean for the real tactical results of the negotiations? And so we push through those. Now, as things are starting to get (laughs) better, um, those projects I mentioned that were put on hold, they're starting to pick up. 
They just are. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot more dollars being put into, um, I'll call it renewals, like early renewals. So some of these initiatives, say adding more functionality, we're starting to actually see a spike in that. So it's customers coming to us and say, hey, my renewal is not till next year, but I want to start and we've learned how to do better. We want to make sure we're tapping these vendors now to get that functionality pre, you know, a year from now when our renewal date is. Mm. Well, I want to get into our, uh, into our snarky countdown, <laughs> but before I do that, uh, there is one thing I want to cover a little bit, which is um, you wrote a post on uh, in January on three keys to negoti- negotiating successful cloud agreements. And you had a number of bullet points in there. There are a couple I really wanted to ask you about in terms of tips for your cloud evaluation. Mm-hmm. One of them was be sure to balance reference calls coordinated by the vendors with those provided by more impartial sources, example, sourcing advisors, research firms, your peer network. Say more about that. Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> it, it, it probably just sounds obvious to the executives who have to sit through those reference calls. Um, you know, quite honestly, what we learn is they get on these reference calls and let's be honest, they already know what they're going to say. Great product. Like they're putting them in that place. Part of what we do, because we have such an extensive network, is if we're, say, working with a customer that's interested in service now and they want to roll out three products out of the gate, like we can put them in touch with the actual person who was responsible for that rollout at another enterprise of a similar size. That's a completely different call. There's more of a candid conversation. It is perhaps not going to be all glowing. It's going to be more tactical. And it's going to also create a relationship. And see, see, this is part of it too. A lot of times when they have these conversations with someone who's brought by the vendor, I'm not going to say they were scripted, but that reference obviously knows what the expectation is relative to what they're going to say. Because the sales organization at that vendor is not going to put them on the call unless they kind of already understood that. The other thing I would tell you is that peer network is really important. Um you know, what we've noticed of late is whether it was funneled through Upper Edge or not, you know, these conversations where you are kind of actively tapping your own network and, and, and having those conversations. And by the way, you know, LinkedIn, I know we're doing this there. I mean, that's obviously a very powerful source. Those are really great as well. But those are great also because, again, candid conversations, but it's less about why something was great. And it usually transitions to here's what you need to think about that they're not telling you. And that's usually the most important piece of data that comes from these, um, you know, off the side kind of reference discussions. Right. Um, Dan, how it says people buy from people, those candid combos are gold. And now we have a, a good question from Alan Berkson. What's a question people don't ask enough on reference calls. Yep. So how do you, how do you shake up that, that seemingly uh, scripted vibe with the reference call to get something interesting. Yeah, I think so for me, right. My number one recommendation, I kind of touched upon it a minute ago. I would be focusing around kind of, especially when you talk about cloud, the number one thing I would be focusing on is the idea of rolling out multiple pieces of functionality, multiple products, the idea of why that sounds like it's going to be so beneficial Versus the practicality of what actually happened, 
So have the reference actually talk you through that. And what I mean by what actually happened, yes, you want to get into how the implementation partner performed. You want to talk about the product functionality, how quick was it to adopt and, and learn. And But also it's your own business. Like what are some of the things that in your company you needed to set up, have in place the people on board? That type of insight is really important. And then the second thing I would tell you from a reference call perspective, I would talk a lot about what didn't happen. And I know that may sound obvious, but again, if you're having a reference call with someone who's of a different uh, vessel, meaning not from the vendor, that's where you're really going to get the information. So what didn't happen? What didn't they do? How frequently or infrequently have they shown up to ensure you're unlocking the value? That type of information versus what went well, you know, the the keys to success. I mean, those are all well and good. I'd be rather talking about the other side of the equation because when you have that information, you tell the vendor, what are you going to do to make sure this example doesn't happen? Yeah. And let me answer the question too. And you, you can respond to my answer. Um, I, I, I like the ones such as what was the most difficult point in the project and how did you overcome it? I, I also wouldn't mind asking, tell us about the time when you were angriest at your vendor or your SI partner. And what were you so pissed off about at that point? Because let's get real. There was a time where you were upset and what was it? And, 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 and on the flip side, what was that moment of truth where they actually stepped up, where you were concerned and they came through and stepped up and proved that this is a real partnership? Those are the kinds of questions I'd want to know about. Yeah, that last one's really good. That's a, that la- I mean, they're all good, but that last one was really good too. Like give examples of what they did to overcome. Look, nothing's perfect, right? I don't need to be told nothing's perfect. And this is a perfect place where literally nothing is going to be perfect. And you need to understand that. So if you already know what they can do to overcome, it's not even a question of like, how can you make sure it doesn't happen? Advancing the question of when it happens, which is going to put them on their heels, when it happens, what are you going to do at that point in time? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's Absolutely. great. Yeah. Oh, and, and by the way, uh, just, just to kind of be clear in case folks didn't totally realize this. Uh, Adam keeps mentioning three vendors, Microsoft, Salesforce, and Service. Now, that's not a coincidence. Adam, uh, I'm reading from his bio page, is the practice leader of commercial advisory. He is responsible for leading and managing client engagements across Microsoft, Salesforce, and ServiceNow service offerings for UpRed. So just so you know, that's Adam's like focus and purview. Uh, Upper Edge, as Adam can tell you, does a lot of other stuff as well. But if you're wondering why those vendors are coming up, that's why. (laughs) It's a good point. I'm happy to talk a little about SAP, Oracle, Workday. Those are other vendors we cover as well. But um, that is a good point. It just comes off the tongue. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted people to know that's what you focus on. Um, Dennis says, uh, I did that with Hearst and Oracle, and they walked us through how it worked and the surprises they experienced. There is more to come if John or others in my former team follow up. They're willing to do that when I spoke with them. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and 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 to me, like Adam, when when I think back to my former life going to trade shows before all this happened, one thing I really loved to do was talk with customers and the vendor and the partner together because, like, I could tell the ones where the relationships were strong. Those, and, and that's what I started to look for. Not so much the technology or even the business ROI. Uh, although those things matter too. I wanted to see those relationships. And when I could see people like joking with each other and like being really transparent and being like, Oh, I remember when you tried to sell me that or when you were late for this or in everyone's laughing. And it's like, 
wow, that's a team that was tested, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what I, I like to see. But anyway. Um, so, uh, Adam, I want to ask you also one other point from this blog post. And by the way, this is on the UpRedge blog, Three Keys to Negotiating Successful Cloud Agreements. Um, the second one I want to ask you about is think through where the vendor being evaluated fits into the larger digital transformation or cloud roadmap. How compatible is a solution? Are there additional solutions offered that could be considered downstream? Can you say more about that? Yeah. So where this really came from is a lot of conversations with organizations that it kind of went down this path. We had an initiative. We needed to, we were focused on that. So let's just talk about like service now, right? ITSM. We need to, we're going to move off a of remedy. We're going to, we're going to implement ITSM. We're laser focused on this and that's all well and good, right? But what I always say, especially with the vendors that I cover, right? Think about this customer 360 Salesforce, Microsoft, they sell like their portfolios are massive and ServiceNow just keeps adding product. If you as a company are not thinking about that vendor in that landscape, that's okay. It's a tactical purchase. You're adding on ITSM, you're moving on, great, all well and good. But the fact of the matter is, that's really not what's happening. So what I always talk about is, well, what's next? doesn't mean you need to commit to next, but having that roadmap, having that understanding, having that discussion with the vendor, one, it gets them interested. It can perhaps unlock concessions for you in the negotiation, but it also starts to transition the conversation from, again, a tactical buy to a roadmap discussion, which forces them early stage to talk about the integration, the value of the multiple solutions. doesn't mean, again, you have to buy it. It just means they're going to think about you differently if you come to the conversation thinking about it differently. So ITSM, ITOM, ITBM, what do you got for SecOps? So this conversation, they want that conversation. What I'm saying is if you're not thinking that way, that's okay. Categorize that vendor a certain way and move on. But the fact of the matter is that's not how it works anymore. And that's why these vendors are extending their portfolio. So go into the conversation with an armed understanding of where you possibly could go and then put the vendor to guide you through that process. Yeah, and I think you make a couple of really important points there. But first of all, uh, Bill McDermott might be giving you a phone call to talk with you about how ServiceNow is expanding from its ITSM uh, based oh. to many other areas. So just, just keep in mind, you may be getting a phone call on that one. Well, first um, he has to get more people to adopt ITSM pro, which I think right now is about 20% of his base, but that's yes. He wants more yeah, yeah. HR and all that as well. So. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, but to your point, I think the, the really key thing there is in my opinion is enterprises need to have a data platform strategy because so much of what they want to do in the future comes down to how these different components fit together and, and like you said, I think one of the worst things about the pandemic were these urgent cloud purchases that were made to solve an immediate urgent pain point without, and I understand why it happened, but it's like in the long run, things have to have a strategic component as well. So I love that point. Um, hey, um, we have a really good one from Alan here, um, which kind of ties into this whole thing around that negotiations are this ongoing thing now as far as your deal with sales for a limited period, but you deal with service customer success and and of course, they're going to upsell you as well, right? And so how do you weigh and evaluate all of that stuff? Yeah, so, um, you know, coming into this discussion, I started thinking a little bit about, um, you know, what are some of the things that the, the struggles that I constantly hear and that word upsell that you just brought up is a good one um, and about sales organizations changing, right? And so here's the thing. 
especially in this space, if you talk about the vendors that we're talking about, your Google rep was probably, probably an SAP rep. Your Microsoft rep was probably – so they all bounce, and let's just be honest. What happens, though, is that when you negotiated your deal, that person might be gone, right? I think that's what the person's asking about. But mm-hmm. the key here is about elevating the conversation. And I always say it's not just elevating within the sales organization. You need to build relationships on the product side of the business as well, right? So like you need to, as an organization, structure strong relationships with people that maybe are going to be more institutionalized at that company, at that vendor, but not just on the sales, but on the product side as well. And then ultimately, ultimately, and this is the key to the whole thing, whoever you would choose as the implementation partner, right? And I know I'm veering away from the cloud vendor, but I want to put that on the implementation partner's uh, plate as well. They have a responsibility to maintain that relationship to unlock the continued value of your products as well. So it's a little bit of making sure that you have the right people elevated, making sure it's the mm-hmm. right group product, and then make sure it's a three, you know, a three-legged stool. Implementation, cloud vendor, and you need to continue to maintain your relationship because that's where the real tr- strength is going to be moving forward. Absolutely. So Adam, are you uh I'm just turning on my um my foot warmer because it's like freezing here. My feet are like freezing. Um, and yes. I got this like little foot warmer thing going on. We live in Massachusetts, folks, so it's like still nice and cold here. Um, yes. Are you ready to do your uh, snarky countdown? Uh, I, um, I, yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah. I, I'm looking forward to my snarky countdown <laughs> Excellent. in this form. Yeah, yeah. You, you even brought a little bit of a, a prop. Top five things that drive customers and buyers crazy. I'm looking forward to this. So give us one of those. All right, so it is a prop, but it's um, a couple things. It's it's only got four, but it says five at the top. I al- I also realized that I don't know how to make a five like in bubble form, so I figured that out about myself. But here's the number one thing, okay? I would like to introduce myself. Now, that kind of talks to what we were just talking about before. The email that many of our customers are getting, senior people that leads with, I'd like to introduce myself. I'm your new account rep. Sally or Bob are no longer here. Like mm. that dri- <laughs> is driving customers crazy, not because, you know, they're getting the introduction. It's this is the fifth one I've gotten in the last three years. So what is going on? Right. And and, and what happened to my last sales rep? And well, wait a minute. Mm. I just got a LinkedIn invite. They're over at Google. So that's driving people crazy. The other one is the email that leads with. Your renewal's coming up. Thanks. <laughs> so what that really means is we have Oh, my a little, goodness. You're killing we, me, Adam. This well, is that's great. that's what it is. Oh. We got this thing. You know, this, <laughs> Your renewal this, is coming up. Right. I like love this, it. Well, thanks for letting me know. Yeah, no, no, no shit. No yeah, shit. A year in I'm advance. Like a, yeah. yeah. Thanks. I'm the CIO of a $10 billion company. <laughs> I don't know when my renewal is. I just know oh that your product goodness. isn't doing what it's supposed to do. So, but thanks for the update. And what you really want to do, and I love that one, when can we catch up? Now, in the old days, you get coffee. Well, I know what you're trying to do here. You want to start picking the conversation up, right? Um, number Adam, three. It, Adam, it gets worse. What time is good for you next week? Or what yes. time? Oh, the, the whole like forced calendar thing. The, even me, even, yeah. even better is even better is when you open your calendar and someone's throwing an invite in there and they haven't even checked with you in the time. It's like, the calendar is wishful thinking. I love that. 
I like oh. the um, I like I'm a big fan of the office and I don't know if you remember when Ryan created that company Woof and it was that thing where like the facts went off everything went off all at once yeah yeah your Twitter I think that some of these executives when I talk to them they're like I got a phone call a voicemail an email a LinkedIn invite like what are we doing here like yeah yeah, like, yeah. what are we doing um the What's other one next? is um we will not be able to provide that before our call. So this is the inevitable what we do, right? So what we'd like you to do is submit your proposal or your presentation, whatever I need. Send it to me a couple days in advance. I'd like to look at it before I get into the meeting. Mm. There's always some excuse. Well, you know, we're, 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 we're really – we want to make sure it's good. We really want to get this down. We gave you two weeks. Um, you know, we, we gave you enough time. So they want to keep the information. Don't they know that these executives know exactly what's going on? It's like you want to present it to me for the first time so I can't come armed with my reaction, right? Mm-hmm. So that annoys annoys me, but it annoys these uh, these executives to no end. And yeah. then the other one, it's kind of the same one, and I love this. It's always at the bottom of the email. Okay, it's always at the bottom. We are still working on getting approval. So in other words, they talk about, I, I think I can do this. I think I can get that for you. If you just tell me a little bit more, if I can have a discussion, there's always some ask. And then at the bottom, we're working on approvals. Look, what does that even mean? You know what my asks are. You know what I want. You either have the approval or you don't. Like it's very simple. And so that drives um, enterprises myself crazy, right? Because these executives are sitting there and going, what more do you actually need to know? And when am I getting that approval? And don't play the game. That's the whole thing. We're human beings, right? We're human beings. These executives are human beings. They know the game. So just stop playing it. Just stop playing it. Mm. I love it. We have I don't one have more a five. On your- I could probably come up with a five, but I only okay. get four on my sheet. Well, four, four is good enough, man. I'm, I'm actually going to give you the official. That that like was that that that, that was like awesome, that. dude. That that was that was fabulous. Yeah, and good. and 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 I think you know it, it's funny because like we we make light of those things, but I, I talk about how like these things nip away at your trust like little bites, and and companies like to think that those things are separate, like that they can have their trusted relationship over here and their shenanig- their sales shenanigans over here. And, and the two aren't connected, but, but in fact, the research shows again and again that they are. And that's one of the big things that Gardner's Hank Barnes has been documenting in recent years that I've had a dialogue with him about is that, that you're judged a lot now as a buyer judges you by how you behave during this process. And, and these little things factor heavily. You, you can't have that separate shenanigans trust. It's all about trust. It's a hundred percent. If I can pick up, I mean, I, I'll give you a perfect example. So where I'm fortunate enough, where we work with organizations, we build these relationships and I have good relationships with them. I will tell you that I can't tell you the number of time rather that we helped a company three years ago on the renewal. And there's one little thing that that CIO remembers that that sales executive did. It sticks in their head and they're so on alert. They're like paying attention for it to happen again. So imagine if you just put the right thing in the CIO's head. Imagine you showed up 
ahead of when you were supposed to submit a proposal. Imagine that you actually didn't play the game of what's meat for coffee or you didn't send the email or imagine you were transparent in your proposal. If you just did those things, that would stick just the same way with that CIO. And guess what? And I, I can tell you this definitively. It actually is going to help the vendor achieve what they want to achieve, which is access. They're going to be more willing to have the sales rep come in and talk to them because it's a human being. They're not playing a game with them. They may not get a sale out of it, but they got access. And secondly, I'm telling you, these roadmaps, these pulling more products, there's less friction, right? There's less friction, and which goes back to the point which what we focus on. Guess what? Give me a highly competitive price on a product I might adopt later. Tell me what that's going to be now. Don't keep that behind the veil. We'll talk about it later. Give me that price now. Guess what? More often than not, that product gets adopted sooner because they know what the product price is. They are having a good use from the product they're adopting, and they have a good relationship with the executive. Like That is what you should be striving for because then it becomes, and I hate this phrase, win-win. Right. Absolutely. Uh, Alan, Alan already took back his question because I think you kind of answered it, but let's do it anyway a little bit. Those renewal conversations are too often vendor outcome focused, not customer outcome focused. How can they do better? Yeah, so a couple things. Number one, and, and, and this is where it's crazy how this is starting to change, and it's the biggest thing I preach. It's just you got to give time. A lot mm-hmm. of times what happens is, you know, and again, this is no fault of procurement. But what happens is you have all these other things, and so you slot. I have a three-month window before every renewal, and then I'm going to pick up the discussion. Like, that doesn't work. Okay, that's just ridiculous. That's metric-driven, not reality-based timelines. Mm. You need to be thinking about it much more in advance. So why do I tell you that? A lot of these outcomes that are vendor-driven are driven by, you don't have time. You don't have time to create leverage elevating a conversation, let's say, with the product executive at the cloud vendor. That's a perfect example. We've had scenarios where when you have time and you plan your preparation stage, which could be six months by itself, meaning certain individuals are talking to the product side, talking about the value that they've been getting from the product, talking to people on the product side about what they would like to get in the future. That sets stage work, which allows the vendor negotiation to be tilted back to your favor because the product side can influence the sales side to give more because they need their product to be adopted. They need proof tests within the industry, whatever it may be. But if you wait till three months before, guess what? You don't have time to do that. If you ask for that meeting, they're going to be like, well, you're not going to be able to do anything new anyways. There's not enough time to pull that off. So you got to give yourself time, period. And then the last thing I tell you is, and this isn't a plug, <laughs> pick your favorite firm, although Uh-oh. I'll say this. Sh- I'll shame, say this. Sh- shameless plug alert coming. It's, real, it's really not. Ultimately, you got to know what's good and what's bad, period. You can have a guess. You can read some pontification about what might be good in the cloud world, but you need to know for that vendor at that point in time what's good. If you don't know, you're never going to win the negotiation. And that's my last point. Forget about win. Forget the word win. What you really want to do is get the best that you should be getting for your scenario. Mm -hmm. You're not going to win. You need to win enough 
to be comp- highly competitive, achieve what you should be getting. Again, you need to know what that looks like. Yeah, it's inter- I have this old ad on my wall somewhere that says – it's this old ad that says, with the information I've got, I'm going to kick this guy's ass. And it's all about like you know, like that, that, um, that hardcore American macho school of negotiation around like, I won, you lost. you know. And, and I think what's so interesting about it is how wrongheaded it ultimately is, especially when you think about like project outcomes, right? Because you want everyone to have a shared stake in, in, in what's happening, and that's not the point at all, that, to – to kick the ass of the person on the other side of the table. The point is that you should each be equally informed and, and have an equal sort of stake in the success of it. And that's what I think you're trying to correct. And what a lot of people want to get better is to help the customers feel like they're on equal footing here. A hundred percent. And and I would just pick up on it because it's a great point is that the mentality that you take into the process is going to influence the end result. Okay, so if you want to go in and squeeze a vendor, okay. Now, every deal that we do, there's significant savings at the end state. We wouldn't be in business for over 10 years if that wasn't the truth. But it's not just about that. It's about building the right relationships. It's about getting investments, which could be dollar-driven. It's about getting protections and commitments. It's about building with the product side. There's so many other things that don't get categorized as a procurement KPI that you were able to achieve. The other thing, and it goes back to that question earlier, which was great, especially with the vendors that we're talking about in Salesforce particularly. So let's say that you have this great plan in place and you want to win the negotiation with them. Okay, cool. What if the line of business executives, their product, is not going to do anything? They don't care that the price went up 5% because guess what? That solution draws an ROI that was astronomical to meet their num- sales mm. numbers. Like you got to understand the landscape and your place in it. Like that's the thing. Like you can go into the fight, but if you don't understand your opponent, you're not going to mm. win. You're just not. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's interesting because one one of the things I picked up on after Hundreds of years of writing, hundreds, hundreds of it feels like hundreds of years. Hundreds of you use cases. You look yeah, great. Thank for, you. Yeah, <laughs> hundreds of use cases for Diginomica is like I, I began to pick up on a theme with customers who seem more successful, and I started to say, well, they kind of come up for air more, and they're kind of they seem they're more network. They seem to understand more what their peers are up to, um, and they seem to value more the advice of people who are very in very different circumstances themselves. They like talking with weird people like me. They like talking with firms like yourself. And, and I think there's that sense of, yeah, we need these independent views. And, and so I become a huge advocate of, of the independent expert playing roles in projects. And there's all kinds of different independents that I've written about over the years. You guys are just one flavor, but I think in general, the mentality is there, but there is a flip side that people do object to that I think is pretty important, which is I do think it can become a little more, it it requires more political savvy on the customer's part. Let's just put it that way because the vendors naturally are more comfortable with a very simple, here's my preferred SI, you know, you work with them for 20 years, here's your preferred vendor. And that's the only people we have to have to deal with. But I think for the customer, they have to learn how to be a little more politically savvy and say, well, we need to pull a couple other seats at this table in order to make sure that this all works out. So do you have any tips for customers on just navigating that? Yeah, I think it's, you know what it is? 
it's and again i i think it always comes back down to human and mentality like simple things like you just have to put yourself in the right mindset which is you've been doing something a certain way for a certain period of time and if the outcome you want is to be different a more strategic relationship with x vendor um better pricing more protections more access to their product side whatever it may be well if you want something different from the vendor and you've been doing the same thing to get the inputs with that vendor, maybe you should try something a little different relative to a party that has no stake in the game. Get their input. Have them at the table. Have them as part of the discussion. And here's the other part to it. And we say to people this all the time. Like at the end of the day, like information is what we provide. Strategy and guidance is what we provide. But it's still on you, your interaction. So you're not getting rid of that. You're still interacting with the vendor. You're still having the relationship with the vendor. You're just getting another set of information from someone that has no stake in what that end state is. So you can choose not to want to do that. My only question would be is why would you choose that? Dive into that thinking. Why would I not want more information that's independent? I'd be really curious when you look at yourself and figure out what that answer is. I think that may actually, when you really look at it, may ask you to question why you have that as your perspective. As a side note, you made me smile because you made me remember my favorite episode of Seinfeld, which I've always called Opposite Day. But George Costanza's is bemoaning his fate is like this loser. And, and Jerry Seinfeld says, well, if every instinct you have is wrong, then the opposite of those instincts must be right. Oh, and it's, it's like this revolutionary. But but to your point, like, you know, the, the opposite of what you've been doing is probably going to work a little better. So Right. And here's the other part. OK, well, what if it does? Let's say it doesn't. OK, you're still right back where you were. And if it goes back to my point before, if you gave yourself enough time, what's the hmm. worst thing that's going to happen? You got another perspective that you didn't align with and you move mm. on. But yeah. you got to give yourself that chance. And by the way, that Seinfeld episode, love that episode. Is that that's the one where Jerry's like, is that velvet? Yeah, right? that's the same one. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yep. yep. And, and that's the one that has George when he comes up to that woman because he realizes, like, God, Jerry's right. And he comes up to that woman, the attractive woman, and he says, Hi, I'm George Costanza. I'm 30 years old. I'm unemployed <laughs> and I live with my mother. And yep. he's like, Hi, George. But anyhow, back, back on track. Um, Greg says, Greg was on my show last week. Hey, Greg, thanks for joining and sharing Newport News. SAP, longtime SAP customer, shared their story. One issue with getting customers to engage in independent views is the self-examination required for previous choices. It's harder than it rationally should be. Yeah, I think I think that's true, Greg, because you don't want to hear, oh, you've been – throwing money down a hole for 20 years or whatever. I think sometimes it can be hard, but that's a true for any behavior change. You have to be willing to accept that maybe there's a better way than what you were doing. But I hear what you're saying. Yeah, that's a really good point. That's a really good point. And you have to have the air cover within your organization to be able to think that way and to be able to operate that way, right? Like one of the things that comes up for us is, and we get this pushback a lot is, well, okay, so you're going to take a look at our current relationships and you're going to assess it. Well, I don't know if I want this to be assessed as not good. Like, I don't want to know if I'm paying too much. I don't want to know. But if you have the executive, the the air cover to 
Get that information because you need it to improve, meaning focus on the future, but understand the past. If you have that air cover, it also eases up the um, appetite to bring in a third party, whether it's an upper edge or whoever it may be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, well, that's that's really good stuff. Uh, now I wanted to ask you about your other countdown that you have, which is uh, we, we asked you a little more of a constructive one after the snarky one. So now you've got one, and now I now seem to have lacked my notes on what, what you did. You did um, uh, – which one did you do? I can't remember. Um, so there was the – you know, what are those keys to successful negotiations? Yeah, like, yeah, like yeah. A vendor. I know we've been kind of talking about it throughout um, – but yeah, sure. Okay, let, let me just get let me just get Den's comment in. Sucking less every day requires realizing that the good decision yesterday might not be so good today, and that that does bring up one really in, interesting point. Um, oh, and by the way, Den's company was—I don't know if Denny still have that company. Sucks less, um, but anyway, it's he actually called it that, so that's how seriously he takes that. But uh, but anyway, um, one thing I do think is really important is that these renewals are annual. But I think like we need to get in the habit of like project health checks like you need like a monthly health check for most of these projects in my opinion if you're going to make enough course corrections if you let a year go by adam before you you resurface that's too long yeah i mean so a lot of the deals that we do too right so they snap a three-year deal we've seen five-year deals and so here's the thing one you got to be planning way in advance i've already talked about that the vendors are doing that it's the hey can you get coffee like that's all we're going to be at the other part to it is Going back to the point about the roadmap, a lot of these vendors are being driven by the organizations and being pulled in and saying, I need this. They don't, just like the CIO doesn't care about the email, your renewal's coming up. They don't know when their renewal dates are. Those line of business executives, whoever it may be, be like, I have a need. We want to use ServiceNow. We want to use Microsoft, SAP, or whatever it is. Get them in here. They don't care when you're renewed. Oh, sync it up with the renewal date, coterminous, you have leverage. They don't care about that. So the vendors will seize that day, right? So health check is both internal, having good lines of communication when those projects are starting. Everyone needs to be aware of it. So everyone can think intelligently. And then obviously having the health check relative to how are things been to that point will influence whatever that outcome is. Right. Okay. Well, if we did a good job on the show, then some of your top five, we probably already covered, but let's go through these top five keys anyway. Let's do it. So the number one, one I have, we've been talking about is just knowledge. And so what I mean by that is I also think you have to really pay attention about what's going on with the particular vendor at that point in time, right? Because like what matters to that vendor changes. The perfect example is, you know, obviously they always want to drive revenue. Right, they always want to drive revenue, but there could be a new product like HRS, HR service delivery, or it could be Power BI for Microsoft because they need to close more of those deals. Whatever it may be, understand what matters to them besides the obvious of revenue at that point in time, and it's usually about products. Knowledge around what a good deal looks like, I've already covered that. Here's the other number one, value. Like I spend so much time And that's why having time becomes important. Trying to unlock and work with our customers to understand at a granular level the value they've received so far from the products they've already adopted. So Mm. 
you have to think about it very as deep and granular as possible. And this is a very difficult exercise. It's a very difficult exercise because if you, especially if you're a global company and Sally's using a product, are they really using all the features? And is Bob using all the features even though he also has a subscription? So go as deep as possible. So understand value. Why? Because when sales force and service now and work to all these people come to you and want to sell you the next thing. It's wonderful when you can put a report in front of them that shows you the, them the value you've got on the thing you're already paying for. You can show them that you haven't actually done the next or the newest release, which I think is Quebec now. Like you haven't done that and you have no interest in AI because it doesn't mean anything to you. So <laughs> have that conversation, arm yourself with that. And that takes time. Adam, I love that gratuitous shot on AI, man. That was awesome. Well, I mean, listen, I, I, so I can do, go you have one other... for, do you have one for blockchain also? Because blockchain is formally prohibited on our show. So if you want to take a shot at that, that'd be great. Yeah, blockchain. Well, I think, listen, I love great ideas. I've heard a lot of them. But in my world, ideas mean nothing, right? It means nothing. Like, because most executives and CIOs, by the time that becomes valuable, Bingo. They're not going to be there. And you've already – anyways, I could go on and on about AI, but in machine learning and in Benioff holding up the Einstein doll and talking about that he has it at his board and it makes decisions for him. Okay. Re great. Okay. So my last one though, this is really important, and I have others on my list. We've covered them. Message. You have to, if you're thinking about, especially the vendors that we're dealing with, we're talking about here in SAP, Oracle, all of them. If you don't have a unified message, and I hate cliche words like that, but I'm telling you, if it's not unified, it's over. Because you could come up, I don't care how senior you are, you could be the CIO of a company and you're talking about your needs and wants and what you expect. A lot of times those vendors have an executive relationship, say, with the a CEO or have the line of business executive. So you have to be really smart about who says what, when, and that there's uniformity because rogue individuals within enterprises are hugely impactful to the end result. I cannot stress that enough, which coincidentally is why time becomes so important. You think you're going to try to unif create a unified message in three months because somewhere in some book, it says that's a good period of time to a renewal. Term. It's not going to work, period. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. <clears throat> we got a couple of nice comments. Uh, at Alan had to leave, but he said he's going to share this with his sales team. So that's a win. Uh, good. And uh, Greg says the cadence of feedback has to be faster than the enterprise decision-making cycle, which I, I totally agree with. And uh, hopefully if there's one thing we've learned during this particular period in business, it's, it's how to accelerate that with digital communication i don't know if we've learned or not but i would like to think we have but maybe we haven't <laughs> maybe we've we're still in the same options. place yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I guess it doesn't overcome bad culture though so if your culture's like you said i love that thing around rogue individuals um wrecking they, the process and it's important for me to clarify something intent is usually it, it's not because they're trying to be rogue by the way a lot of them, they just don't even know that, say, another negotiation is going on on the side. How could they? You think they walk into work wondering like, well, I think my service now renewal date is in six months, so I should probably inform. Like that doesn't happen. It doesn't, right? Mm -hmm. Unless there's a message and a cadence in place. So rogue, I don't want that to be sound negative, 
it could literally be rogue just by your own day-to-day behavior, which is perfectly mm-hmm. appropriate. In the context, it's not when you think about the bigger picture. Absolutely. Excellent, Adam. Well, you did your homework for today's broadcast. I, I appreciate that. And, you know, I, I think it's interesting because I, I think that, you know, the promise of, of cloud in my mind was was not technology. It was business model. It was giving customers more freedom and independence. And we, obviously, it's a work in progress. I mean, in some areas of cloud, there are on-demand things where you can ramp up instances and, and, and turn them back down and, you know, pay as you go. Um, you know, I, I just, it's important to just show people that the SaaS industry by and large isn't like that yet. And, and look, lock-in isn't totally a bad thing, really, right? Because sometimes if you're really happy with your provider, um, you, you, you feel committed, right? So, I mean, look, marriage is a form of lock-in. A lot of people are happily married. Um, <laughs> you know, so, so lock-in is not always terrible. It's just more that I think it's really important to understand that SaaS software business is not that different than on-prem in a lot of ways. And, and companies should, should be aware of it is all. I mean, I would love to be locked into something that cares about me, is interested in me getting what I need without telling me the other thing I need to get. Right. I would love to be locked in to a relationship with a vendor in this case that actually is mindful of the future and protecting me now. That'd be wonderful. And I think there's opportunity. I, I know what those deals look like. I know they can be achieved. The problem is if you don't know to, how to ask – and you don't challenge, there's no incentive on the other side of it because it goes back to if you're working with an account rep and that account rep's not going to be there in a year, then what are you dealing with? So, yeah, I mean, it's a really good point. I think, you know, I'm looking at the time and maybe it's just towards the end of it, but vendor lock-in is not necessarily bad. It doesn't have to be. I've right. locked a lot of customers through our helping negotiating into really good deals. They never need me again. So, you know, that's a really, I think that's a really interesting way to think about it. And I, and I actually appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah. And I think also too, like, like there, you know, companies have pushed back on me a little bit when I talk up pay as you go too much, because some of them like the cost certainty of a, of a contract or a multi-year contract. And I've never really felt like there was only one way to, to do cloud. I have just kind of felt like, like that, that the imbalance of information that made it hard for customers to, to really have the best chance of a good deal is the same as all like, yep. that's the thing that hasn't changed. That's the main thing that I wanted to get across. So, 100%. and, and you, you were very helpful in that regard. <laughs> you, you had plenty of uh, support for that as well. So, 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 so Adam, how do you um, stay, stay sharp in terms of as, as we hit, as we head to the end of our time together here. And by the way, if, if anyone has any last questions and stuff, now's the time we'll wrap fairly soon. Um, how, how do you stay on top of this? I mean, you, you seem like someone who's really committed to providing customers with the best information. I know you talk to customers all day long, but how do you keep your so-called edge for yourself? Yeah, the upper edge. The how do we keep? <laughs> so your, no, your it's personal a really good, edge. Yeah, it's a really good question. So you know, one, it's just you have to be interested in listening versus giving guidance. Right. So we get brought in to give guidance. We get brought in to give strategy, benchmarks. They listen to us for recommendations. 
So one of the things I've learned is that, and I talked a little bit of this before we started this, is that listening, asking questions, tapping my own network, like, hey, I know we did our Salesforce deal together two years ago. I'm just curious, like, how's it going? Like, there's no, I'm not going to get a deal out of that. I'm not selling them anything. I'm not even interested in the negotiation. I just want to know how it's going. So it's listening, asking questions. I have a great team. I mean, we have great individuals at Upper Edge that are all focused on the same thing, delivering high quality, but we can't deliver high quality without our customers, meaning we need them to be open and honest and transparent with us, right? So we got to earn that. So it's really that. And then the last thing I tell you is just paying attention. A lot of the stuff out there, a lot of it is just available to you. You just got to pay attention. You got to listen, like earnings calls and it, whatever it may be, you just got to listen. You got to take the time to do that. Um, so, you know, look, I, I'm blessed in a lot of ways to have the customers that we have in the relationships that we have, because I get probably just as much from them as we give back to them. Absolutely. <clears throat> All right. So uh, I'm going to, I'm going to wrap with, um, I usually do a little uh, whiff for the week because this is the Enterprise Hits and Misses uh, video show. So um, every week in my column at the end, I, I have a few whiffs. Some of them are about the industry. Some of them are not. Um, this one actually isn't in the column yet, but I think it might make it next week. It's always always a lot of competition because I think there was something a couple days ago about uh, Tesla screwing up on another uh, self-driving thing. I always like to make fun of autonomous vehicles. Um, so so that – but but – but uh, just from a PR standpoint, I got um, this this nugget from a PR person who got kind of high on on technology and verbiage. And one of the things that I like about talking with folks like yourself is like, how do we talk about this stuff without falling into verbiage and and just the self importance of that? Because customers don't talk like that, right? And um and I got this awesome example, and I tweeted it, and I said. Um, Please don't write like this. So I will read you. I said, after reading this sentence, I signed up for Luddites Anonymous. I'm going to read this to you. This, this was an actual PR sent to me. While this digitization boom was catalyzed primarily by the needs of a remote, contactless pandemic world, the byproducts of this trend are notable, namely in ways we can rethink everyday tech innovations for a greener, more sustainable tomorrow. Oh, my God. I mean, I give him, I'll give him an that A for is- effort. I mean, I mean, there, there's certainly some poetic license there. I mean, I, I think like if, if, if you want to go back to your liberal arts days and submit that as poetry, maybe you could like or open mic night or something. Um, but, but as far as like selling someone some enterprise software, I would say back to square one there. So, yeah. Um, but you know, I, I, in a way, it was funny when I read it. I was like, man, I wish this last year had provided me with that much optimism because. Um, you know, I, I think I think it has been a hard year. I, I just I don't think there's any way to sugarcoat that. Not not that we haven't all extracted some really good stuff out of it, because I think we have. But mm-hmm. but oh my gosh, like a greener, more sustainable tomorrow. It's like, what have you been doing the last year? You know? <laughs> I, yeah. But yeah. anyway, that's that that's a really good one, and I'm gonna have to uh, find that because I want to put that up at our company and saying what not to do. So I what think, not to say, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Please don't no, say good. that stuff to people. <laughs> Do you have any final things you wanted to share, Adam? No, I mean, I think for me, just appreciate this opportunity. Um, I love talking about this stuff. So, um, you know, it's kind of a day in and day out and having, you know, having the chat with you, obviously always enjoy it. 
So, um, cool. yeah, no, I just want to lend with a thank you. All right. Well, we'll definitely, we'll definitely do it again. I'm glad we gotten back to rhythm of getting connected and, uh, <laughs> uh, and keep up the blog. I've noticed you haven't been blogging quite as frequently. So, uh, there's a lot of I, renewals. Yeah. There's a, yeah. Lot, a lot of renewals. Oh no. Is, your renewals coming up, Adam. That's I mean, why come on. <laughs> I mean, I'm bit, I'm busy. No, but that's a really good point. And, 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 and you know who I'm talking about, Carol, she will also remind me about this. So Crack I the whip that. a little bit. Yeah. Appreciate yeah. It. Yeah. Appreciate yeah. Cause she, for a while you had a more regular head in the clouds thing that I was enjoying. So, might have to get back to that at some point. I'm glad you so, said that. So that may yeah. happen. Yeah, maybe that becomes like your your monthly installment or something, where we revisit that every now and then. It's really anyway, good idea, John. <laughs> hey, man, checks in the mail, dude. All right, awesome. good to talk. Have a great awesome. one. All right, thank you. Bye, everyone.